Well, the last time I stood behind this uh, pulpit and this room teaching to the college was I, when I was an intern. So I was part of the sixth cohort here with Brother Al, uh, and Michael Hill was a uh, college pastor. So I was, his, I think, I guess I was his little intern for a semester, and he asked me to teach on the Sunday school, but I wasn't raised in church, and so I wasn't familiar with the church, and I wasn't at that time, still, arguably, I'm not that skilled as a speaker, as a preacher, but definitely not then. I uh, didn't know how to really explain God's word publicly as a new believer, but he taught me into teaching Sunday school, and it was a packed house that morning. I mean, it was packed all the way to that other wall, uh, into the corners, and I was so nervous. I was uh, shaking in my shoes, literally, and I don't know how I got through the text, really don't even know what I taught. And uh, one of my friends who sat in, he said, he said, man, you didn't even move a muscle. You just stood behind the pulpit the whole time. Your hands never left the, uh, the little podium. And uh, I was like, man, I, I can't even express how nervous I was. But thankfully, uh, you guys just back then, the college group encouraged me as they walked out and said uh, I did a great job. I really feel like it was kind of like a pat on the back. Um, hey, we, we support you. But now I love this special place, definitely. Um, to be here, uh, not only for that reason, just uh, this is where I was saved when I was a college student. I moved to Auburn as a uh, non-believer. Uh, again, I told you I wasn't raised in church. So, And in high school, I lived that party lifestyle, that scene where um, you just, a rebellious scene where we went to all the parties, we did what we wanted to do. I was raised on a family farm, so I was able to... Um, convinced my parents that I was at a friend's house or in the back pasture around a campfire, but who knows uh, where I was at or what I was doing. And then after high school, I had no plans of attending college, but I had friends that were here. And so I came to visit them and saw kind of the party scene here. And once I graduated high school and went to work and saw that all of my friends were off to college, I, I, I then tried to get myself together and go where I could continue that lifestyle. Well, the cool story is that God had a different plan. So as soon as, we, as soon as I moved here, it was the spring of 2007 in April. So, and at that time, I had already commuted a year at Southern Union. So I was kind of familiar with the area. I was already kind of in school, and I was finishing up that uh, um, two years where I could transition into Auburn. Well, it was a Sunday morning. Uh, I, was, I was in my trailer at Ridgewood down on Webster Road. And I had, for some odd reason, I had desire to go to church. Uh, and, and I had driven by Lakeview, so Lakeview was the church that I chose to attend that morning. didn't have a Bible. Sat in the back pew, and uh, Brother Al was preaching, and there was this lady probably in her 70s, maybe 80s, on the other end of the pew. And she asked me to come sit next to her. So I, um, of course, raised to respect my elders. I slid down the pew and sat with her, and she said, Son, you don't have a Bible, so you're worshiping with me today. And as Brother Al's preaching, she moves the Bible in front of me, and she makes me follow along verse by verse with her finger. And during that service, it's the first time in my life that I'd heard the gospel. The gospel was made clear to me, and there was this whole concept of Jesus being uh, not only Savior, but Lord. And the message was about surrendering your life to Jesus. And... You know, had never heard that before. It kind of scared me. And so for my reaction was, okay, this is one of those crazy churches. I don't want anything to do with this place. I just need to get out of here 
and go back to the uh, plans I had originally of moving to Auburn. And so, but during that service, my heart's just beating out of my chest to respond to this gospel message. And I'm fighting it, telling myself, no, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. Just stay strong, stay strong. Well, it came time at the end of the service. Uh, we all stood up for the altar call. And uh, my heart's just beating out of my chest to go forward and give my life to the Lord. And then, but I'm standing strong, and the lady looks at me, and she says, son, do you need to go? You need to go give your life to Jesus. And that then rocked my world. So I just faced, I just looked uh, forward, and I didn't pay her any attention, but she didn't give up. She continued to share the gospel in my ear. She was sharing her testimony. And it was kind of to be a lady in her 70s and a guy in his 20s, it was, we were going through, we had, she had went through something I was going through, and it was, it was emptiness. It was a sense of no matter how good life may have seemed in my life, I knew there was something missing. And the church ended. I didn't go forward. I, uh, she made me go meet Brother Al, just shook, her, shook his hand, and she made me walk her to her car where she finished her story. So the lady never gave up on the gospel. And I saw her away, went home. For the first time in my life, 2007, I ran from Christ. And I ran from God to the point that it took about two to three months, and I finally said, I'm, I, I, give, I, I give up. I, I'm yours, God. I went back to Lakeview. I sat in this room for the first time as soon as uh, August, that August came, and I sat next to a guy that followed me in the service, sat with me, and I, I was there the whole time just to go forward and give my life to Christ. So when that happened, I, you know, we went back, we kind of talked about it, and then I came back, and that guy I sat next to was still in the pews waiting for me to get out. And he, yeah, he took me to lunch, and I told him what I just did. And he's like, great, well, why don't we meet weekly and just talk about the gospel and what it means to, to um, walk with Christ. And again, all this is very new to me. I'm scared to death. But I agreed to it. And so for the f next year, I met with him weekly and really just fought through some addictions I had in my life and and, uh, and wrestle with this new concept of surrendering my life to Jesus, responding to the gospel. And uh, it was a long, hard fight. I uh, couldn't get away from alcoholism. I couldn't get away. I was thankfully able to get away from a few drugs, didn't ever touch again, and just the moral li immoral lifestyle I was living, thankfully, was able to turn from that and uh, all because of responding to this gospel and having the, the body of Christ embrace me uh, through this other college student, but then also the pastors and leadership here at um, this church. And so fast forward a few years, graduate from Auburn, and I uh, went to the internship with Brother Al. Again, didn't know much at all about the Bible, uh, but it was, that was where my seminary uh, training began and really embraced those three years, had a blast, it was hard, and moved to, after graduation, moved to Atlanta for church planning, eventually ended up in New Orleans, and uh, church, uh, so the past six years I've been a church planner there, but also working with the seminary, so NOBTS, um, and now my wife and two boys, we are here, we moved here this summer, and we're just being faithful members here at the church, and uh, taking the opportunity to preach, teach whenever we can. Uh, Kevin called me Friday and said that uh, the original speaker scheduled to be here today had the flu and wanted to know if I'd fill in. And uh, I said, well, can I preach an uh, old sermon? Because we only have two days, and I had a weekend planned 
out. He said, well, just think about it, but I think you can really put something together with this text uh, in Romans. And I said, well, let me look at it. And as I was reading it, I even asked my wife, I said, Katie, read through this because I only have two days to put something together for Sunday. And she said, you can just preach the text. I mean, you can just read the text. And I think it'll preach itself. And uh, I got to looking at it and I was like, you're right. I mean, this is just some really good, uh, solid um, words here from Paul that I'm excited just to break down with you guys. Uh, but before I do... Let us pray, and we'll go from there. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We know that we are all so blessed to gather freely without persecution um, as a corporate body of believers, specifically this college group, Lord, to just learn from your truth. Um, Father, to learn uh, here from Romans what uh, Paul addressed to uh, the believers there and, and just seek to apply it to our lives today. And so we ask, Father, for your spirit to open our minds, open our heart to your truth, and so that we can apply it all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul was, uh, wrote Romans during his third missionary journey while he was in Greece. Uh, his purpose was to communicate his calling, to be a light to the Gentiles, but also to relay this gospel message that had impacted him. It was a message built on the foundations of the Old Testament, but fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His main point was that until we realize that we are sinners, we really cannot appreciate what the gospel is and our desperate need for salvation. Uh, and it won't also affects the way we appreciate God's grace in our lives. So Paul pointed the undeniable presence of sin in our lives, and in Romans 3 and 4, he specifically helped the Jews understand how they needed God's grace as much as the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So here in this passage that we'll be breaking down today, verses 21 through 31, is one of the greatest doctrinal presentations of salvation in the Bible, where Paul explains the righteousness of God. It is just rich with the truths of our righteousness in God. So verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Okay, so the first key word here in this verse is manifested. Manifested, established, revealed, displayed, demonstrated, which we know the full story is Christ. So this present purpose, continuous verbiage, is letting us know that now the righteousness of God has been manifested. So it's not something that was attainable yesterday, last year, two centuries ago. There was nothing prior to Christ that, besides faith in him, that salvation was available. So when we're thinking back, he's addressing the Jews here. He's referring to the law. So he's referring to the Old Testament letting them know that nothing from the past beyond faith in this moment could save. Therefore, Jesus is the apex. It is the culmination of God's salvation, his redemptive plan. Jesus said in Galilee, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the first thing that we have to establish here, that we have to agree upon on this text, is that faith in Jesus is how the righteousness of God is achieved. So it's not by works. 
It's not anything that we can do. It's not anything the Jews could do to be saved, to experience God's righteousness. So the second set of key words that we have to put together this is apart from the law, which you just alluded there. So Paul reminded them that his Jewish readers, that the covenant promises of God made to Abraham and his descendants were assured by faith, not by the law. We see that in the famous faith chapter in Hebrews, that they all were accounted righteousness by faith in the promise that God had made. And so that's the purpose of the covenants to where they are bringing together and pointing to this moment. So the law, all of those uh, sacrifices they were made, it was, they were strategically there to bring an end to themselves, to get to the point to where we're saying, okay, God, there's nothing we can do. We're making these sacrifices. We're doing this. We're trying to live according to your law, but yet we still fall short. So even then, prior to Christ, it was faith in the promise of God. We see the first promise made there in Genesis 3.15. So Paul's point was that the gospel of Jesus Christ both continued and fulfilled God's original plan of salvation. So this is not plan B, option B. This is the culmination of God's story of redemption, the meta-narrative of the Bible. It's all pointing to what Paul is explaining here. He said in verse 27 and 28, Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul wanted the Jews to understand that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the only means of eternal life. So he is stressing this. He is telling them this is not the alternative plan. Your pedigree, your religious acts account for nothing. They account for nothing when it comes to your salvation. He is stressing this with urgency, with passion, because he wants them to understand that only by faith, which does what? So when we have, when we place our faith in someone else, specifically salvation, we are pointing to something, someone else. Just like I explained with the Jews in the Old Testament, we realize we cannot do this. Sometimes it's easy to think we can, and I'm not picking on you who were raised in church. My wife was raised in church, and I praise God for that, and praise God if you were and you were spared from a lot of baggage and pain that comes from building a lifestyle outside of Christ. But sometimes we can easily think that we, 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 can, we can live this life that results in favor with God. To where we look better than our neighbors. We're living a life that is so much more righteous because we go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. We're part of the youth group, and we don't go to all the parties. We don't go do all these bad things. We are the ones who God is patting on the back to saying, job well done. But Paul is telling us, and he's stressing here, and we're going to break this down here in the next point, but no. Your sin is just as bad as their sin because sin is what separates us from God. So when we realize that and we're placing our faith in Jesus for salvation, 
what does that do? It gives him all the glory for what has taken place in your life, in our lives. So when you're acknowledging that salvation, your salvation is by faith alone, you're giving all the praise and glory to God. It's not on you. And so this, this, this spirit of all, when it comes to what we hear about in Acts chapter 2, when the new believers gathered after Paul preached the, the gospel at Pentecost, they knew, they understood that what they just received by faith was from God. It was not from them. And so that caused them to turn from what they were doing and to gather with like-minded believers and worship the Almighty, knowing that their salvation was from Him. And so that, that is the motivation behind what we do, why we're here, why we gather on Sunday mornings. is because of us knowing that our righteousness is by faith. That's the motivation behind gathering here, behind responding to this truth, turning, being different, is because that God has given this to you by faith. Next point in verses 22 and 23 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The key word here we want to look at is all. And it has a twofold purpose here. First, Paul said, for there's no distinction. God shows no favoritism. He told the churches in Galatia, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave or free, there is no male and female, for we are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to promise. God's salvation is available to all. And I made that point but to, a few minutes ago, but to build on that point and just put this practically, and I'm speaking to myself here, it's so easy to kind of get caught in our bubble where we all look the same. And mo for the most part, all probably go to Auburn or surrounding community college. So we're all in this college season of life. I mean, you're living your best life. All is well. You're all which is great, which you should embrace and have a blast. But you can't get past this human nature at times that pushes you into thinking that you're better than others. It's a temptation we all have. We're, just, we're, we're trained in life to measure ourselves against each other. Who, throughout high school, you have a better grade than so-and-so. Or you're chasing the person who does have the better the better grades, to get our, our, a better athlete, a better singer, um, you name it. Whatever it is that you enjoy doing, you're measuring yourself against someone else. Life teaches us that. And it's part of our nature. It's who we are. But when it comes to the gospel, to embrace this humility that your salvation is by faith, Paul is telling us and reminding us here that God does not show any favoritism. He does not show favoritism at all. We are all welcome to this. this. This gift is for all 
And, but it makes us ask why, and Paul answers that in our second point, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. So despite my sin, as a, the, the difference in my sin in, 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 in high school and even today, but specifically in high school, when it was very rebellious compared to my wife's sin, who may look more like, um, I'm just throwing this out here, I'm not saying she's guilty of this, but being jealous or um, envious and, and are deceptive, those little sins that we have even though we're in the life of the church and embracing the teachings of the word and, and, and living by faith, we still have to realize that there's this one common denominator that keeps us all from God, and that is sin. It doesn't matter, and, and, and Paul is telling us, for all have sin. We know since the fall of Adam and Eve, we've all inherited this sinful nature that keeps us from having a fellowship with God. And so his gift is what reconciles us. His gift of faith. <clears throat> so you cannot be reconciled with God on merit. It's just impossible so it doesn't matter if you look better than your neighbors. And, and understanding this truth, applying this truth in your life, then gives you that humility to then not look upon someone else who's not in church. I was speaking to an individual this past week who, he's probably, I, my guess is in his 50s, maybe in his 60s, he, he, he got divorced, I don't know how long ago, and he's now living with... Uh, Another lady, they're not married, and we were talking about the Bible, and he was talking about, yeah, I just I read every night, and everything this guy's telling me, I'm like, he knows the Lord. But the one thing he was telling me was that he doesn't go to church, and, and I asked, why, you know, why don't you go to church? He said, well, a couple reasons, you know, it's very hypocritical. Everybody I see in there, you know, goes and, they go and do their own thing during the week, and then Sunday they kind of you know, tie their tie and walk in with this holier-than-thou type mentality and when I knew what they were doing the week beyond. Okay, okay, you know, we're all, you know I, I, I see what he's missing there. But his other point was, and they look down on me because I live with um, his, I guess, girlfriend, and, uh, and we're not married. And, you know, of course... I wanted to just lash into him with biblical truth and explain how, why that's sin, and also he's sinful in, you know, and also judging the church for being sinners. But instead, I just got to think, I was sitting here, it's like, he doesn't need that right now. What he needs from me is just, is love. Love and truth. But my first reaction, and thankfully, by the Spirit of God, was not what I acted on, was to condemn him as well. To, to look and think of being better than him because I'm not living with my girlfriend. And that's our temptation here, I believe, in this college town is to help our spirits, lift our spirits, is to then compare us as believers, compare us com to the unbelievers. Well, I'm not going to the such and such parties. I'm not doing that. I'm making sure I get in the bed by 10 o'clock where I can be at church on Sunday mornings. That's our temptation. But when you're thinking that way and acting that way, not only is that what the 
the outsiders, the unbelievers are reading, that's also how you are missing the gospel and not applying it into your life. See, this truth here, we have to preach to ourselves. We have to make this clear in our, in our lives and in the way we think, in the way we feel, to act it out, to live it out, to apply it. If not, we're no different than the Jews. We're no different in the sense, without Christ, of thinking, oh, I'm God's chosen people. I'm his favorite. Because when you think that way, you don't act like Jesus did. You don't think and feel as though he did. And this is heavy. I mean, this is a heavy text. But this is good. I'll explain this because this is where life is found as a believer. Verse 29, Paul asks, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. See, the second key word here, set of key words in this verse is, who believe. Paul said the righteous of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. When you believe, you are counted righteous. Gang, when you believe, you are counted righteous. We're pounding on this truth here. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. We see this played out in Paul's testimony in his life. We know him as a murderer. As an evil man who persecuted the Christians. But listen that his, just look at him. Look what he's talking about. This is a changed man who now has a passion and a heart for the souls of men. He's, he's, he's addressing, he's doing everything he can. He, he, this is his third missionary journey. So we're talking thousands and thousands of miles he traveled to proclaim this gospel. And, I mean, literally most of the New Testament are his letters. He, he, is, he has dedicated his life to explaining God's righteousness. And so we see how what happens to us when we apply this truth to us. When we apply the God's righteousness in our life by faith, it changes us. It gives us the motivation we need to embrace the life that God is calling us to live. And we see it here with Paul. Next, we see bringing all this together, which is the point we're making, is that the righteousness of God is the gospel. The righteousness of God is the gospel. Paul expounds on God's righteousness by stating that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Again, the first set of key words here is are justified by His grace as a gift. So, summarizing what we've been talking about. We are justified by His grace as a gift. God's righteousness is a gift of grace. We don't deserve it. It's a gift that we do not deserve. So, salvation by grace through faith makes it a gift. And the second set of key words here... Continue the explanation of the gift being through the redemption 
that is in Christ Jesus. It's all wrapped up in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is, again, as I used in the beginning, the apex, the culmination of God's redemptive plan, all right here in the story of Jesus. His life, death, resurrection. Paul explains in verse 5, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So this propitiation by his blood paid the debt for our sins. It appeased God. His holy sacrifice on the cross defeated death. Our debt. The penalty of sin is, is death. And Brother Al always had these famous three points on death. He said we're dead spiritually outside of Christ, we're dead physically outside of Christ, and we are dead eternally outside of Christ. Well, Jesus defeated this all. So not only did he defeat sin by living a sinless life, so that, that physical point... He, uh, spiritual point, he defeated, he paid the price for sin on the cross. And then what did he do? He defeated death. Which is what the two things that we're, we all have in common, sin and death. No matter where you go in the world, you're going to meet sinners who are going to die. And Jesus conquered both. So that we can have eternal life. That's the gospel. And that is a a beautiful picture of God's redemptive story coming together so that we can have eternal life by faith. Paul said it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So from start to finish, Jesus has been and continues to be the means of eternal life. That's the point I want to get across before we transition to the conclusion here where the gospel of God must be applied and proclaimed for salvation. Paul stated, Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So there's two points here I want to pull. From And it says, Paul reminds us that God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the circumcised, uncircumcised through faith. Then he asks, do we overthrow the law? By no means, he says, on the contrary. So now you'd be asking, what? All right, let's pump the brakes here. We were just told that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. The, the law of the works does not, the works of the law does not grant us eternal life. Why is Paul pointing us back to the law? Why is he pointing us back to good works? Well, if we look in Galatians 3, we have to remember that Jesus fulfilled the law, but he did not abolish the law. So the law always had this kind of guardian purpose. It always, as I said earlier, pointed us to Jesus. There were works involved, but the misconception was that the law could earn you. These good works could earn you salvation, which is a thing that we often think of today. But the point of the New Testament, the New Covenant, is that 
the good works are from our salvation, not for our salvation. So when you, the God's redemptive process does not end at justification. It begins with justification, it continues with sanctification, and it concludes with glorification. So that means the gospel implies a response. The gospel demands a response. You have a duty, and I need to wrap this up because I think you guys got to leave here shortly. You guys have a duty as a believer to continue to apply this gospel daily. And that's what Paul's point is. Throughout the book of Romans, throughout his letters, he is reiterating this gospel truth. Why? Because we have to apply it daily. We have to crucify ourselves daily. We have to respond to this truth. But let me tell you this. It's not something that you just have to do that becomes a grudge. That's where life is found as a believer. Paul said, how beautiful are the feet of those who come and proclaim the gospel to you. So not only do you apply it inwardly to yourselves, preaching that gospel truth to you, because when you do, the Spirit of God works in your life. He gives you that life you need, that joy to embrace this Christian journey in unimaginable ways. Because God loves you, cares for you, and He wants to guide you, but He cannot guide you outside of you applying the gospel every day. And then yet, we also know through His redemptive process that he is saving others through you. He could do it on his own, but he's chosen to use us to proclaim this gospel. So you have inward and outward implications that I want you to discuss around your table for the next, I guess we have about eight minutes. Um, But my last point I want to bring to you on this is that a sound doctrine of salvation is the theology of the road. I mean, it's the faith to be practiced, applied, and proclaimed. Don't get caught up in this fun season of life you're in and lose track of your faith, your walk with Jesus. Because I promise you, it's far greater than anything this university, this world, this town, our athletics can give you. We all know This world's disappointing in so many ways. But God will never disappoint you. He loves you. So be different. Be, Be separate. Separate yourselves from that world. Make sure you embrace each other. Help each other. Let this group, let, encourage each other. Help each other out. Push each other to the gospel. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much.